0: Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis.
1: It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This to me is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know.
2: Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis.
1: Well, good morning, and we will be talking about um, a number of things this morning uh, with Vivek Ramaswamy, our good friend and presidential candidate, coming up this hour, and also Pastor Jack Hibbs will join us from California as well to talk about all of the things that are going on surrounding uh, the Nashville shooting. And, you know, of course, uh, this is always a a topic uh, when there's a tragedy that occurs like this, and um, there's something that gets national headlines. Uh, Of course, we don't just want to talk about it in the political sense, we also want to talk about it in uh, the worldview impact sense and how should Christians respond. And um, interestingly, as I've been uh, watching the news and kind of seeing the commentary and uh, the response as well, um, uh, then we have to look as Christians at the worldview. And um, Tucker Carlson actually had a really fantastic Uh, opening monologue last night, and and the whole thing was probably almost 10 minutes, so I'm not going to play that whole thing uh, for you this morning, but he actually articulated incredibly well uh, how Christianity and transgenderism as two completely different ideologies are on a collision course in the United States and how they are wholly incompatible with each other. And I want to play this clip for you uh, really quick, and then uh, we'll be joined uh, by our good friend, uh, Representative Corey Mills. But this is what Tucker said last night on Fox News. This is Cut 5.
3: It was just last week that we noticed that parts of the transgender movement seemed to be getting militant and possibly dangerous. We did a whole segment about it on Thursday night. That segment was sparred by an NPR segment we had heard and never expected to hear, NPR has always, as a matter of editorial policy, completely opposed the civilian ownership of firearms, with the possible exception of maybe IRS agents. Yet here suddenly was that very same station, National Public Radio, positively urging trans people to buy guns, as many guns as possible, and if necessary, to use them. The world is dangerous, explained one trans gun owner. You have to be dangerous back. And that seems strange to us. Is the United States really a dangerous place for trans people? Well, West Baltimore is dangerous. You could easily get murdered there. But if you're trans in this country, obviously there are many downsides, but there do appear to be some benefits. It's a lot easier to get into Harvard, for example. It's definitely easier to get a job at Citibank or in the Biden White House. If you're transgender can so much as fly a kite, the Pentagon will happily make you an F-35 pilot, just so Hollywood can make a movie about it. Identifying as trans, whatever, again, its downsides, does convey status in this country, which is why so many young people now do. Not a lot of 19-year-olds are pretending to be car mechanics or linemen for a regional power company in eastern Ohio, but plenty of college freshmen do pretend to be members of the opposite sex. And why wouldn't they? The people in charge despise working-class whites, but they venerate the trans community. People are just responding to incentives. It's rational in a way. But that does not explain the anger that we heard in that NPR segment. Why are some trans people so angry, and why do they seem to be mad, specifically, at traditional Christians? We can't think of any trans person who's ever been murdered by a pastor. As far as we know, that has never happened. So it's not an actual threat of violence from Christians that's inspiring some trans people to buy AR-15s. No, it's got to be more fundamental than that, and it is. The trans movement is the mirror image of Christianity, and therefore its natural enemy. In Christianity, the price of admission is admitting that you're not God. Christians openly concede that they have no real power over anything, and for that matter, very little personal virtue. They will tell you to your face that they are sinful and helpless and basically absurd. They're not embarrassed about any of this. They brag about it. That saved a wretch like me Goes the most famous Christian hymn ever written in English. The trans movement takes the opposite view. Trans ideology claims dominion over nature itself. We can change the identity we were born with, they will tell you with wild eyed certainty. Christians can never agree with this statement because these are powers they believe God alone possesses. That unwillingness to agree, that failure to acknowledge a trans person's dominion over nature, incites and enrages some in the trans community. People who believe they're God can't stand to be reminded that they're not. So Christianity and transgender orthodoxy are wholly incompatible theologies. They can never be reconciled. They are on a collision course with each other.
1: And that was Tucker Carlson last night in his monologue. And he goes on to talk about uh, transgenderism and the Uh, violence that is being fomented across this ideology and how uh, this has now been perpetuated through the Nashville shooter. And the New York Post had a headline yesterday that the shooter's parents just, quote, couldn't accept their daughter's trans identity. And interestingly, uh, I think that Tucker, who does not describe himself as a Christian, uh, who does uh, say that he believes in God, and you know whether or not his um, theology is is ultimately uh, on point as we as Christians would describe it. I think that he actually has a better understanding of how Christianity and transgenderism are mutually exclusive ideologies and worldviews of the human condition than a lot of Christians, unfortunately, and 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 watching this segment last night, um it it reinforced this idea that while the left would tell us, we all have to just be tolerant and live and let live. And what does it really harm any of you Christians to not just, Uh, You know, live and let live and call everybody by the pronouns that they prefer. and, And what does it really harm you? Why can't you just tolerate this ideology? Well, Tucker rightly points out that Christianity and transgenderism are mutually exclusive views of the world. And to force Christians to believe and accept that Humans have dominion over nature to the extent that we can change our biological sex at will and at whim is incompatible with our understanding of God as the sovereign and the divine lawgiver over all of humanity, and that we are under authority. And he rightly says that Christianity recognizes one very, very important thing. We are human beings are not God. And this is original sin. When we're talking about the, the crux of the transgender ideology or of any false worldview, ultimately it goes back to the Garden of Eden, that when, when the serpent came to Eve and said, you can be like God. Every false ideology that is out there ultimately has a god substitute and therefore is false in terms of the comparison with truth and we, of course, need to be talking about this in our churches. We need to be recognizing what truth is so that we can call out false, untrue ideologies like transgenderism in the crux of the root issue, like how Tucker did last night. Um, I think this is one of the the best, a few minute segments on this issue that I've that I've heard, because he rightly says these are two mutually incompatible worldviews. So what do we do then, as a society? Because obviously Christians are not going to accept a false premise, a false worldview. We are going to stand firm on the truth. But then what do we do when society tells us we have to acknowledge? or are compelled to speak untruths under this view of so-called transgender rights. Because when you have a false premise and a false ideology that is codified as a civil right, what happens when that right then abuts against our As Christian's free exercise of religion. What happens? What ideology wins out? What happens when the cake baker says, I'm a Christian. I can't participate in baking a cake that's celebrating a transition like Jack Phillips did. And that's actually in Colorado. That's what's uh, the next case that is targeting him is going to the Colorado Supreme Court uh, in April. And we'll talk about that case uh, when it happens, because um, and, I, and I think intentionally a, a, a Colorado attorney in the aftermath of the masterpiece uh, case, original case where he declined to bake a cake for a same sex wedding. This attorney came in and asked specifically for a cake that was pink with blue frosting. And OK, fine. But then specifically said, I want to celebrate a transition. And then, of course, because that was revealed to be the purpose and intent of a custom cake, uh, Jack Phillips politely declined and now is being targeted as refusing to accommodate what Colorado and what increasingly the federal government and many other states are articulating as a civil right and this is what happens when you have really false um, ideologies. Then ultimately, you have to pick and choose which civil right has to be accommodated and which uh, which individual citizens have to participate even against their own viewpoints, their own freedom of speech, their only their their own sincerely held religious beliefs. And how do we deal with that as a society? Well, obviously, these are mutually exclusive. And the right thing should be that we as a society should reject completely a false ideology. And this is why we have to still, as Christians, advocate for a Judeo-Christian premise and foundation in our law. Because if we go back on our heels and we say, okay, we are such a diverse society now, and we are a pluralistic society, and we are kind of post-truth and we recognize that. So we at least want to carve out exceptions for our faith, and Christians can at least be tolerated and accommodated. That will never work. We have to make sure that we still have an understanding in law of a Judeo-Christian premise to law so that we can rightly reject false ideology and say, no, a, a man who wants to identify as a woman or a woman who wants to identify as a cat or whatever these these trans-human, trans-species, trans-everything else, that's not a civil right to participate in a fiction. And we have to push back on this because otherwise— we will end up, if we articulate trans, you know, sexual orientation and gender identity or soji in our law, then ultimately we as Christians will be forced to accommodate this. And right now, those questions are going on in Washington. They're going on in state legislatures. And this type of outright hatred for Christians, not only in the Nashville shooting context, but within the whole trans community that is wanting a day of vengeance in Washington, D.C. There, uh, Katie Hobbs, the governor of Arizona, her press secretary in the aftermath of the shooting actually tweeted a picture that was a woman holding a gun and commenting on how that's, this is what trans people, uh, when they see transphobes, and was openly calling for violence against Christians. This is what happens in a society When the law is being discussed and the left wants to coerce and compel Christians to take a backseat, they will intimidate, they will foment violence, and they will force their view onto society because they know that their ideology is false. So how do we respond? Well, Pastor Jack Hibbs is going to join us later on in the program But of course the answer is self-evident. We have to respond always with the truth. We have to stand firm and say no. We will not buy into or be forcibly compelled to speak something that is false. We have to stand firm, and we also have to make sure that our law reflects a moral and upright society, and that standard must be the truth. Otherwise, it's totally arbitrary, and we have to make sure that as Christians, we are always standing firm on the truth. We'll be right back here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. We lost uh, Corey Mills, but we will get him another day, and Vivek Ramaswamy coming up right after this.
0: No gimmicks. It's $99 a month, and you can use any Medicare-approved doctor or facility, and you get 24-7 access to telehealth from the convenience of your home. Better yet, MediShare is a Christian nonprofit organization. It's a community that will pray for you and encourage you. And since we've cut out the middleman, you get to keep the savings. Call now. You can learn more about MediShare65+. Here's the number, 833-45-BIBLE, that's 833-45-BIBLE, 833-45-BIBLE. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop
1: down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders.
0: Today we pray for Senator Ed Markey of Massachusetts. He is the state's junior senator and a former member of the U.S. House of Representatives matthew 5:16 reminds us of the qualities of a good leader in the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven right now with this in mind let's pray together almighty god we ask for guidance for senator ed markey as he leads the people of massachusetts each day we ask this in jesus name amen
1: Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated
0: to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to
1: pausetopray.org.
4: Hello Americans, I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. It had been a long day in the coal mines for Michael McGuire of Pikeville, Kentucky. He'd been up since 4.30 in the morning, but the Kentucky Wildcats were in town for a scrimmage, and Michael wanted to take his three-year-old son to his very first basketball game. Michael didn't have time to run home and clean up, so he showed up at the basketball arena in his work clothes, covered in soot. Coach John Calipari noticed Michael sitting in the stands, and it brought back memories, good memories, of his own childhood growing up in a coal mine town in Clarksburg, West Virginia, his family's American dream. Coach Calipari snapped a photo, shared it on social media, and of course it went viral, promising to bring Michael and his family to Rupp Arena, where the coal miner and his boy will be treated like VIPs, no doubt, an American dream. You need to read my latest book, Culture Jihad, How to Stop the Left from Killing an Asian. It's available at ToddStarnes.com.
0: Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio.
1: Welcome back. And we are talking about uh, the truth of the transgender ideology in the context of the Nashville shooting, but also the greater impact to civil society and how uh, we as America need to respond to this. And Vivek Ramaswamy, who of course is a GOP candidate for president, uh, posted a really great video on social media yesterday uh, with this caption, if gender dysphoria is a source of great suffering, then why on earth are we going out of our way to create more of it? Answer, it makes a small number of insecure progressive adults feel better about themselves. Gender dysphoria is a disorder. Let's stop pretending otherwise. So Vivek joins me now. And my friend, I I just have to commend you for being one of, I think the only right now, Uh, announced presidential candidate that is willing to speak the truth about transgender ideology and gender dysphoria. Uh, Why do you think that is, that that you are the only one that is willing to address this so specifically?
5: Well, look, I think that this is one of those sacred cows, again, Jenna, in today's culture that you're not supposed to touch. And, you know, you and I have talked about that before. It's not the only such topic. Race-based affirmative action, I'm the only one taking that on. Directly taking the climate cult head-on. There are certain issues that in the modern culture you're supposed to dance delicately around. I refuse to do it, and I refuse to do it not just because I want not to be a rabble-rouser or just to make a point for the sake of making a point. These are issues where if we care about actually delivering solutions, actually doing the right thing, then we have to speak the hard truth unvarnished. And the reality is, it is not a humane thing to do. When a child steps up and says, hey, I'm born in the wrong body. If you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you're an adult, that is a child screaming out to you for help. They're not screaming out for help in the way that they need, but it means that something else has gone wrong in their lives. And the humane thing to do is to get to the bottom of that. Figure out what's wrong at home, if you're a teacher. Figure out what's going wrong maybe at school. If you're a parent, that's what you're supposed to do, not affirm their confusion through life-altering surgery, genital mutilation, now chemical intervention, chemical castration, puberty blockers. That is wrong. It is morally wrong, Jenna. And I think that one of the things for me in this race is, yes, I am taking the America First agenda to the next level. I think I can go further but i think we can go further and do it even in a way that is unifying not by trying to trying to modify the truth of what i say to compromise no i think we can be unifying by speaking truth from a strong moral foundation and you know in this particular topic i'm speaking not just as a presidential candidate but as a parent of two sons in a stable marriage that believes firmly in those traditional values because they undergird not just only our family, but this country. And I think if you speak from that level of moral authority with a actual genuine goal of addressing the problem and solving it, then I think we can actually unify the country in the process, ironically, by taking on these controversial sacred cows that other politicians refuse to touch.
1: So how then, Vivek, do we address this in the context of the civil rights issue and public accommodation law where the transgender ideology would suggest that sexual orientation and gender identity has to be accommodated in a society that wants to tag this as a civil right?
5: Well, I want to first point out a certain contradiction there, Jenna. And I know you're you're doing a good job of articulating a view. It's not necessarily your view, but I want to respond to it nonetheless, right? It's a view you often hear. The contradiction is this. On one hand, we heard years that the sex of the person you're attracted to is hardwired on the day you're born. It is an immutable characteristic. That's what allows it to be protected so strongly as a civil right. And yet that same movement, the LGBTQIA plus movement, now says – that your own biological sex is completely fluid over the course of your life. You can't believe both of those things at once, that the sex of the person you're attracted to is hardwired at birth, but your own sex is actually fluid. And I think that that just reveals one of many contradictions in what is really a cult. This is a secular cult. It's not logic. It's not reason. It's a cult that will say whatever it needs to to get to a legal conclusion on a given day. That being said, I also believe in prioritizing our response, Jenna. The area where I think as President of the United States, I will draw a firm hard line and go the distance is to just outright ban genital mutilation as part of gender affirming surgery, chemical castration, et cetera, under the age of 18. I think we can draw a hard line that will not be controversial. I think can quietly unify the country around protecting our children, which is different from how we want to deal with, you know what, if you're an adult, maybe you're free to Make whatever mistakes in your life you want to make, as long as you're not harming or imposing that on someone else. That's the line we need to draw there. But I think the, the basic step that I'm confident I will be able to take without controversy, even in a unifying way in moving us forward, is the U.S. president drawing the line to say that what we're doing across this country right now to children, that will stop under my watch. There's not a single state in this union where you can get a tattoo before the age of 18. Why is that? It's because we say in that area that we don't want children to make life-altering changes to their body and regret that later as adults because it's permanent. Well, the same country that says you can't smoke a cigarette or you can't have a tattoo before the age of 18 is now allowing kids to, on their own volition, through being affirmed of their gender by a culture that is lost – Now cut off parts of their body, make permanent life-altering chemical changes to going through normal puberty and adolescence. Those are permanent life-altering changes that literally not only are we allowing these kids to make, we're effectively creating a culture that encourages them to do it. We're seeing it spread like an epidemic in our country. A core part of my presidential platform involves protecting children. And protecting the next generation, not just in these transgender issues, but this is part of that broader platform for me, and I will deliver it. And I think that part of the reason I think I can be successful here, Jenna, rather than a lot of others who maybe just be perceived as culture warriors, is I'm unapologetic about doing it from a strong moral foundation, both personally in the way I've lived my life and conducted my life, but also even in the ways that I'm unapologetic in talking about the importance of faith and tradition and family values in living it and walking the walk, that I think actually will hopefully allow us to take some of these agendas to the next level, because even when we in the conservative movement are saying the right things, we're limited from actually going the distance and getting it done if we're not doing it from that strong moral foundation. That is what Reagan had in 1980. That's when he led us out of our last national identity crisis, and that is a big part of what I intend to do in 2024.
1: And I I agree with you that I think we can specifically draw that bright line for children because they have a right to intact bodies, to not have a permanent uh, genital mutilation surgery happen to them uh, because of doctors or parents or other adults' decisions and choices that will affect them through the rest of their lives. Um, so that is something that we should all be able to, as a society, rally around. Um, but let's talk about then what happens after the age of 18 because um, there's still a, a push from the LGBTQ community to say as adults, if if they want to be in, for example, a gay marriage, if they want to uh, have their pronouns be respected, all of these things as a term, and I agree with you uh, that civil right is is a false premise to attach to that. But as we see Soji language being pushed into um, our our Civil Rights Act and, and reading into the definition of sex, like the, the Bostock decision unfortunately held, then how do we as a society deal, deal with the Christian that would say, I'm sorry, I don't want to participate in that, and I refuse to be compelled to speak something not only that is just real, reality, it is false, but it also specifically goes against my fundamental sincerely held religious belief.
5: Yeah, look, I think that this, the, the children protection, Jenna, is just the first step for me. You know, I think you've heard me speak. I reject this encroachment on our culture altogether. I mean, let's just take the language point, right? Many people say, oh, it's just pronouns. It's just language. You're changing the language a little bit. Let me tell you something. Language is one of the things that binds us together. It gives us a national identity. If everyone who used that language had a claim on changing some small part of it that they didn't like, then we wouldn't have a language left at all. You know, I think it's the same reason why a lot of Hispanic Americans reject the term Latinx. What is that about? That's about actually rejecting that Spanish as a language has embedded into it masculine words, masculine nouns, and feminine pronouns. Well, Latina, Latino, they reject that and say Latinx. Why do Spanish people, why why do people who speak Spanish, Hispanic people, Resist that trend because it rejects the essence of their language. Language is part of their identity. Well, it turns out it's not that different in the way we speak English in this country as Americans, too. And I think it's just one of the examples of how, when you lose a moral structure in a society, even in order to be on the fringe, you can only be on the fringe if there's a certain moral foundation that defines what it means to be on the fringe. But when that central moral foundation itself is gone, then even what it means to be on the fringe is just up for grabs, and you lose the very cohesiveness of a society itself, really dissipating, dissolving structures that hold us together, even like our basic language. And so I believe that this is a dangerous trend across the country, Jenna. I think we start with the area where we would have the most national consensus and you know, moral authority by taking on, by the way, no other professional politician is taking on the issue that I'm taking on, even with respect to a federal ban, for example, among children, to be able to call that out for what it is. But I think that's a first step forward, that it's a leap forward that I hope with leadership from the top, we're then able to open our eyes and say, in no sphere of our culture, will we undermine from our language to other traditions that bind us together to say that, you know what, we will Stand for who we are without apology. And as I said, if you in your private life want to behave in a certain way, we're not going to be a country that federally bans you from doing that. But that doesn't mean that we're going to stand by and watch idle as that encroaches upon our culture, be it the way we speak, be it the language we use, be it this false narrative of of rights somehow encroaching on religious liberty, which already is indirectly coming, Jenna, where if there are religious organizations that now fail to adopt these cultural orthodoxies, the ESG movement and others will punish you in your ability to borrow money. No. We draw a hard line in saying that in your own private life, in your home, as a fully grown adult, if you make those choices, we as the federal government won't be able to stop you. But we will not let you encroach on the rest of our culture that undergirds what it means to be American and hold a hard line with conviction on that. And You know, that's something that I will do unapologetically, Jen, and I don't know whether this is, whether speaking hard truths like this unapologetically is the right electoral strategy or not. Uh, I would rather lose the election and speak truth at every step than to find the politically correct thing to say at every step along the way and somehow discover that's the winning strategy. But I think we need more people in leadership who are actually willing to say out loud what we otherwise would agree on in private, the more we say that in public, the better off we're gonna be as a country. And I do think that this LGBTQIA plus ideology that's spreading like an epidemic in our country is really about a new form of cultural oppression. It's not in the name of, of helping those who have been oppressed. It is actually creating a new form of cultural oppression in our country that has no tolerance for dissent And I refuse to stand idly by as that, I think, ruins both our culture as well as even permanently harms our children and the next generation of Americans.
1: And and this is the principled approach and why uh, you are getting so much support from um, all 50 states uh, and so many people who have donated to your campaign. Um, If you want to find out more about Vivek, go to vivek2024.com. And um, in just the last few minutes uh, I have with you today, Vivek, and we always appreciate you coming by weekly to talk about these things. Um, What is your plan to take this message to the debate stage and Uh, and essentially challenge your fellow presidential candidates to respond to these issues that they may otherwise skirt or answer in more of the politically correct way.
5: So that is my role in this race this year, Jenna. This year is all about advancing that agenda, whether it's race-based affirmative action, whether it's taking on this new cult of climate change, whether it's taking on this new cult of gender ideology, You know, I've also called for abolishing the U.S. Department of Education, which spends $80 billion a year. By the way, you could take a quarter of that expenditure and put two to three armed security guards in every school to prevent something like what happened in Nashville from happening in public schools across the country. These are the kinds of issues we need to be taking on without apology, ending the fentanyl crisis with actual use of military force to secure our own border rather than somebody else's. And this is what I'm doing this year. I need to get on the, not only on the debate stage, but a prominent spot on the debate stage to do that. My ask to everybody is figure out who you vote for next year, but take a dollar, take five dollars, take one dollar, and actually make sure that we actually have this bottom up grassroots movement, which is already snowballing now, Jenna, I'm happy to say. And March 31st is actually our first reporting deadline, so we're coming right up on that. If people went to Vivek, V I V E K, that's my first name, Vivek2024.com, and gave $5, even a dollar, that helps the snowball go even further. And I'll tell you this, I think that in the White House, we need, as we got in 2016, someone who's not a professional politician, someone who's actually willing to take on the difficult issues with gloves off. I think you get to be an outsider once. That's why I'm coming into this race as the outsider in this race. And I believe even more so than you know, the traditional outsider, I still believe in the moral foundation and values that undergird this country. I practice what I preach and live that in my life. And I hope, even though I'm 37 years old and I'm a millennial, that I can actually help provide an example of leadership to the next generation of Americans because that's what I care most about, actually having a country left for the next generation and the young Americans as well
1: excellent well go to vivek 2024.com i have given and donated to vivek because i want to see you on the debate stage we'll be right back with more thanks for listening to afr i'm tim Watson.
4: oh no way that just happened
5: <sighs> yeah this radio is old man
1: wait
5: you are roku don't you Uh, yeah, but how's that going to help us? Dude, AFR's on Roku now. Oh, seriously?
0: Yes, where's your remote?
5: All right, here we go.
0: We're in the same, uh... You are a genius. Oh, yeah. American Family Radio, available on Apple and Android products, Amazon Alexa, and now available on Roku.
5: The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. See, we don't have to engage in psychological brainwashing techniques and all this nonsense that the left traffics in because they're godless for the most part the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through god to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations that's how we fight
0: tune in to the awakening weekdays at noon central on american family radio
5: they have healed the brokenness of my people superficially saying peace peace but there is no peace My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Tragedy struck the Covenant School in Nashville, Tennessee, when a woman, confused about her own identity, entered the school and murdered six people, three of whom were children. Initial reports concealed the murderer's confusion. Later reports identified the killer as transgender, a woman who presented herself as a man. Then almost immediately, the next comments were, but there's no evidence of mental health issues. A woman says she's a man. But everything's fine. Deviancy idolatry requires truth be sacrificed, even in the face of tragedy. May our Lord comfort the bereaved families in Tennessee. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner,
0: or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association.
1: I promise you guys, you will not regret it when you call Trinity because it was such a relief and less stress in my life. And it was the best thing I could have done for myself. Because once I called Trinity, they took care of me and I felt such a relief, a weight off my shoulders. And they are a Christian-based company. I love it.
0: If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1 800 788
1: 1813. I'm Corey, and I'm debt free for keeps.
0: 1 800 788 1813. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio.
1: Welcome back and we are discussing the truth about the Christian worldview and the measurable difference between right and wrong, good and evil, and the personification of truth that is the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the God of the Bible and contrasting that with all things that are not truth that would therefore be false. And uh, Tucker Carlson had an actually amazing uh, monologue last night and if you missed that you can you can find that on Twitter or we played that in the first segment and he talked about how Christianity and transgenderism are on a collision course because they are two mutually exclusive views about humanity and about man's ability to have dominion over the science and over our own bodies to the extent that we can reject the empirical reality of biology. So here to discuss uh, the targeting of Christians by our society and uh, how Christians need to respond is my good friend, the uh, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, Jack Hibbs. And uh, Pastor Jack, I really appreciate you joining on this topic. And first of all, I, I want to ask you the Christian pastoral response to these types of tragedies? How do we sort through this, and how do we view this when so many people are suggesting, you know, well, thoughts and prayers do nothing, and obviously, you know, your prayers to the Lord didn't work because things like evil are still perpetuated in society?
2: Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. And listen, the the answer must come from uh, the Christian pastor. Now, look, uh, this is one reporter's opinion. This is me, and I'm coming from my corner. But I, but I believe it's the right one, because the Word of God is correct. Number one thing is that the Christian pastor must arise to educate his congregation that sin is really sin, that God's Word is absolutely true, which means this, by the way. When the Book of Romans tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that shouldn't offend us but it should actually prepare us to receive the good news that Christ will forgive anybody who turns to him. And so instead of pandering, or instead of covering up, or instead of avoiding the issues in so many pulpits today, in in, in the attempt to what? Be acceptable? Be cool? To get numbers? I don't know what. But we need to speak truth, speak it in love, and the Christian pastor action today as it always has been, should be, to reach out to these people that are gender confused and being sold a bill of goods in public school and and speak the truth. And people are going to hate truth. Jenna, you know that. They're going to resist the truth. They're going to fight the truth. They hated Jesus, and they're going to hate us if we act like Jesus. But what they're doing is they're misunderstanding the very message and the heart that we have to love them, because uh, they need salvation just as much as the most moral individual in our community.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, the Bible talks about in Romans 1 that um, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And these are the people that God gave over to the sinful desires of their heart, and they end up suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. And so talking about uh, Pastor Jack Hibbs speaking truth in love— The leftist progressives would take that word love and I think manipulate and pervert it out of context and say, well, it's loving to affirm people's life choices. It's loving to affirm a transgender ideology or same sex marriage or, you know, any of these so-called life choices. But I think that they are perverting that word love. So let's define that biblically and what it means to speak truth in love.
2: Well, you're 100% correct. And their twisting of the definition of of love in their in their camp is exactly what they're doing to science. They're twisting science to be uh, something other than it's not. And so to address that is to winsomely, lovingly, but exactly as you just said, to, to, to do this. And, Jen, I'm telling you, I'm doing it here in California, and it works. And that is to get along with somebody who's having troubles and say to them, listen, the Bible says this, Romans 1, you cited it perfectly well. 1 Corinthians 6, uh, Ephesians, Galatians, addresses these issues. Do You see what the Bible says, and do you understand what the answer is? Because, Jenna, you well know, and I think this is where we're at. Gosh, I, I it pains me to say this, but we have allowed this dialogue and this conversation to infiltrate our school system to the point or our culture to the point where people have entertained this, or played with us for so long as they could, they got away with it, that we are looking at a time. We are, we are now dealing with people who have been rendered reprobate. Many, Not all, but some have been rendered reprobate as Romans 1 talks about. I mean, think about the reality of that. God's Word is true. And He says there comes a time When someone's not listening, where I give them up to their own desires, I let them have what they want. And according to Scripture, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the way ends in death. And so to speak truth, at least from from what I'm doing here, is to just authentically, honestly sit down or host a gathering or preach a sermon and say, listen, we love you enough to tell you. The truth is inside. You know it. You're fighting against it. That's why you're prone to be suicidal. We didn't cause that. It's a satanic attack against you. You need to wake up and realize that you've been lied to. And, Jenna, real quick, uh, is the fact that the silver lining, there's many of them, but the silver lining to COVID was a lot of parents finding out and listening in on what their kids were being taught and since, you know, the advent of, of uh, learning all of this, uh, parents are waking up and fighting back. Is it is it too little too late? I hope not, but I'm, I'm pleading with my, my fellow brothers in the pulpit to get up and speak the truth and stop being uh, in some sort of likable contest. That's not it. We've got to represent the Word of God, period. And when we see the advancement into our culture, the abuse of our children, our public school kids are being mentally, sexually abused by these pro, just, you know, perverted drag queen presentations and things like that, which have just spooled up the entire conversation.
1: Yeah, and I'm speaking with uh, Pastor Jack Hibbs, who's the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, uh, out in California. And Pastor Jack, what you're saying is so so right, and, and yet the the leftists and the progressives would say, you know, you can't speak that. You're being hateful. You're being bigoted. While they are advancing their ideology without shame and with violence and with calls to yep. uh, to attack Christians openly. Now, I mean, some of these things that I was reading on social media yesterday, I thought I can't imagine if this was a Christian. Saying these types of things, which you know, hopefully that would never happen. And as Tucker said last night, you know, he said, I, "I'm not aware of a pastor ever harming a you know transgender person or attacking them." But you know, if right. this was if this was Christians, then immediately society would say, "Oh, you can't! You know, that is wrong, and you can't do that." So where are we at in a culture that? The transgender ideology followers and allies have more courage to speak a false version of humanity than Christians right. have with courage to speak the truth that is empirically recognizable.
2: Well, what an awesome statement and, and question, because you, by you asking it, you actually answered it. And it's this. They really, 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 really believe in what they are feeling. Uh, and pastors today, they need to believe what the Word of God says as much as the trans team believes what they think. And when you, when you asked, the opening part of your question was, um, they tell us we cannot say these things. They, they tell us, they say, you can't criticize us, you can't question us. Yeah, yeah, we can. Yes, we must. So we must, number one, stop falling for them shaping the conversation and to dialogue with them. Now, that's tough. You know it. You've seen it. I've done it. They start yelling back. They start going incredibly emotionally ballistic. But that yet proves the condition that they're in. But for us to be truthful and winsome and factual, because here's the great thing, Jenna, is Actual science agrees with the Word of God. Why? The author is the same author. The same author that wrote the genetic code and the DNA is the same author that wrote Genesis, for example. He's the same God. And, and, and those, those two truths, those two facts do not contradict. Science tells us how things work, and the Bible tells us why why things work, why it matters. And so we're at this crossroads clash that you and I know well, and your listeners who are biblically astute realize Jesus said in the last days it's going to be like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Before he returns, it's going to get unhinged like this. Well, we're seeing it now, and it's ramping up quickly. So what should we do? Christians Of course we should be praying, but prayer is not enough. After you get done praying, you need to, with love, with conviction, and with persistence, reach out to those, get involved in your school board, find out what's going on in in the PTA, and speak up. Form a local coalition, do what you must to rescue your children. They're being lied to at an impressionable age. They're being spoken to by authorities who are saying, you know what, if you've had this thought, I had a I had a parent tell me that their kid told them, Hey, I I think I think I like girls, mommy. I'm a girl, but I think I like girls because the teacher said today, if you ever thought about kissing a girl, then you must or most possibly are gay. And just that power of suggestion to an eight year old, think of the, the influence. This is what we're seeing happen. Parents must get involved in the education system, and pastors have got to really. Um, I'm trying to be a Christian here in this conversation. They need to to grow some biblically sanctioned tenacity, if you know what I'm trying to say. And. <laughs>
1: I was wondering how you'd finish that sentence, yes
2: Me me too, I was starting to scare myself
1: Um, Well done But
2: we we really need, we need pastors with some courage right now like never before
1: a hundred percent. We absolutely do. And, you know, as, as you were speaking, Pastor Jack, it, it reminded me that, you know, we need to reject the premise of these objections to truth. And yep. when people say, oh, you're not being loving, you're bigoted, or you're pushing your religion on me, and or, you know, I don't need to listen to anything you say because I don't believe in, you know, the, the fairy God that you do or any, any of these things, we are speaking from a place of truth, not just of belief in God, but a recognition that we are speaking from the reality to which we are all presented. And as C.S. Lewis talks about in Mere Christianity, one of my absolute favorite books on apologetics mm-hmm. that just talks about this, we have the only argument for the truth of reality and the explanation for why things are. Uh, happen that are evil in the world um, for and, and a solution for the problem of evil. So why would we stand back and not have courage? So what is your in just the last few minutes I have with you, um, Pastor Jack Hibbs? What's your encouragement to pastors who may be concerned that if they offend people, then you know their church will be smaller or they might get um, you know some threats or they might get some you know mean tweets? What's your encouragement to them to just stand up with courage and speak the truth of reality?
2: Yeah, well, first of all, number one, uh, not all pastors should be on social media, because if they cannot handle a mean tweet, and if it affects them and causes them to shrink back, then they need to get off of it. Number two, they need to actually take the time to read the Bible personally and believe what it says, because it's absolute truth. And the third thing is that They need to get into their pulpits, and they need to meet with their congregation, and they need to engage their civic leaders like the the pastors did in their colonial period, and they need to proclaim truth. They need to state truth, because here's what's so beautiful about it. it. We don't have to defend biblical truth. We are to proclaim it. It defends itself. It's alive when we speak truth, biblical truth, it makes a difference. We don't have to tiptoe and figure out what effect it might have on our congregation or our community. If we speak God's biblical truth, it is going to fly like an eagle with an impact and with an effect. We don't have to defend it. We must let it go. It's like the lion in the cage. You, you don't defend a lion. You let it go. That's what, that's what lions are designed to do. The Word of God, Jenna, is designed to affect people's lives so that when I'm talking with someone who's direct opposition to my biblical worldview, if I speak biblical truth, I don't have to worry about the outcome. The individual is going to walk away. The Holy Spirit's going to see to it that he takes that truth and now begins to stir that person. Mm -hmm. Please, Lord, if there's hope for that person, because some, as you said earlier... Their minds have been blackened or darkened and, and brought to a place of, of resistance. But that's not for yep. us to determine. It's for us to obey. And get
1: Amen to up. that. Obey. And Pastor Jack Hibbs, always appreciate you stopping by and for your word of truth. And uh, as the quote from St. Augustine of Hippo said, the truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. Let it loose. It will defend itself. Go speak some truth today.